Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Two Bye Guys. We're here with the continuation of book season. I wrote a book. Everyone's writing books. So many buy books. Very exciting. Adding to the wealth of literature about bisexuality, pansexuality, and other things. And today we have another repeat guest back for a second time. I'm so excited Hi. to welcome back Vineet Mehta. Welcome to Two Bye Guys. Hi, thanks for having me back. I'm so excited to be here. Yay, so exciting to see you. It was back in uh, season three, I think, that you were here and you had just started thinking about writing this book. And yeah. we were talking about <laughs> what might go in it. And now here you are and it's a real book and and we can see it. It's real. There it is. Look at it. Look at it. <laughs> so Zavanit is an Indian bi guy living in London, in case you missed the first episode, which you can go back and listen to. But, you know, you're here now. So he's a writer. He's an activist. He's a software engineer. He created the hashtag bisexual men exist, which we talked a lot about in our first episode. And now a few years later, he has published the book Bisexual Men Exist a handbook for bisexual, pansexual, and M-spec men. So it is lovely to have you back. Uh, congrats on the book. Amazing. Thank you. I, honestly, all the coolest people are writing books. Uh, you should yeah. know, because you're writing a book. Um, <laughs> Indeed. But I'm just, I'm so glad to like have it out there now. You know, when you've just been like, I'm sure you're getting like speeding at the moment where you're just holding on to this for so long. And then yeah. it's when it finally hits, the, the wider world and you're like it's not just me anymore it's everyone right. else has it it's yeah, right it's a nice feeling right well and it's it is a really long process of writing these books I mean like yeah. <laughs> I, I actually started mine in 2020 before I even knew it was a book so it was like but a really long process but yeah. even once I knew it is a book and I'm actually writing it it was six months of just sort of doing that by myself. And now I'm in a six month period of it's done and I'm just waiting <laughs> for waiting to share it. So what was that um, like for you? Mine was a really long writing process. Mine was I, I signed the contract in May 2020. I had like a rough outline and idea of what it was going to be. Uh, my original deadline was August 2021. Didn't meet that. <laughs> but that was my original deadline. And I didn't finish it until January 2022, so a year before it came out, because it came out January this year. Wow. Um, and then most of that year I was editing. So it was like, I think I got my first round of edits in like March. I think it was from like my, my editor, and then it was like the copy copy editor, whatever it's called, and the proofreader, and then I got a sensitivity reader. Um, and that was like several rounds, so it was like, and I got some in May, and then I got some more in July, and then some more in like August, September, or something. And then it didn't finish until I would say around September. It was like August, September, I think it finished. Wow. Uh, and then, yeah, a few months of now, oh God, I need to think about how I'm launching this and publicizing it and reaching out to people and be like, do you know I've got a book? Do you want a yeah. copy of the book? I needed people to endorse this book, which you know, uh -huh. like, was like, please endorse my book. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, but yeah, it was a really long process and it's excruciating because I'm so used to writing articles or writing short form. I would write maybe anywhere between, you know, like five, 600 words to 2,000 words, maybe 3,000 at a push. 
and then you get that like immediate feedback right you write an article for say you know mental for metro uk or whatever and you send them your first draft and by the end of the week you've probably got your final draft if not early the next week and then it's publicized like a couple of days later like it's a two-week turnaround this yeah. is a two-year turnaround with right. no feedback know anything for that whole time you have no idea if people are reading it enjoying it like because no one is it's just in your computer yeah excruciating Excruciating. yeah yeah that must that is crazy especially that long timetable Uh, i i mean i'm like and i'm in that period of like it's far enough away that I don't have to make specific plans to promote the book yet, but it's on my mind a lot. I know very yeah. soon I'm going to have to do that and plan a call with you so you can tell me yeah. what to do. <laughs> Honestly, um, like it's it's so difficult because, I mean, I was also moving flat at the same time as like the lead up to the book launch. And so I was mm. like trying to go, day job book launch, moving house, danger. And I was like, how oh, I don't know how I'm spinning these plates. I, I think they, they spun my share will, honestly. Yeah, 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 right. I mean, keeping a day job through all this, yeah, that's a lot. Like, I, I, I've I been working on various projects, but I wouldn't say I had a day job, at least for a few months like this. I got to focus on this entirely, which was nice, but also, yeah. uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see when the money comes in. It's going to be a while to pay the bills. But you did ask me to do an endorsement, which I loved doing. And so I got to read the book. I don't remember when that was, but it was a while ago now that I read it. And yeah. I just for if you haven't read my endorsement out there, I'll tell you all now. I wrote that Bisexual Men Exist is the book I wish I had read when I was beginning to recognize my own bisexuality. Which is true. I mean, this is like, this was sort of exactly the primer I was looking for and couldn't find, especially one that was sort of dedicated to male bisexuality, which I couldn't find. I wrote, it is comprehensive in scope, but straightforward and fun to read, full of real life examples and insights from actual bisexual men who really do exist. Shockingly, not really. <laughs> After four years hosting my podcast, Two Bye Guys, I still learn new things and found unique validation reading this book. So if you haven't already bought your copy, I recommend checking out Bisexual Men Exist by Vanit. Thank you. Thank you. So, so um, I mean, I want to talk about the book and the response and what you were talking about. But like, before we get into it, what's new for you with that or with your bisexuality in general since we spoke, which I was probably late 2020, early 2021. I don't remember. But like, how's your sexuality evolved or changed or what role does it play in your life these days now that you're an author? I think, I think it's, it's weird because I think even a few years ago, I was definitely speaking and writing a lot about bisexuality but when you have a book out, suddenly it, it lends a lot of like credence to you as a person. Suddenly a lot of people are like, oh, this is like a person we should talk to or we should know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you become like, I don't know if I'm necessarily a figurehead, but I think some people may see it like that. Like they're, they're a person doing the work and it's, it's kind of jarring sometimes. Um, it's very much like, oh, oh God, I'm just a person who barely knows what I'm doing. Please, please. And I think that that was a big thing writing the book as well. As I remember 
there was a moment near the end of the writing process where I was just so terrified because I was like, as you said, there's not a lot of books on bisexual men. It's not a thing that exists a lot. And I just felt this big burden on my shoulders of like, what if I get this wrong? What if I don't represent our community well enough? What if I don't give the information people need? What if I don't help in the way I want to help? What if I harm? What if I harm? God forbid. Um, And so that can feel quite weighty sometimes. Sometimes it can feel quite exhausting. Um, In terms of, I guess, my own personal sexuality, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm I'm kind of leaning even further into, I guess, myself. Um, I'm starting to grow up my hair. I've got my like ears pierced. Ooh, you can't like see it much, but I've got my ears pierced. <laughs> um, and I'm uh, gonna get my nose pierced as well. I'm Ooh. really trying to, trying to like lean into, I guess, myself and kind of who I want to be a little bit more. Cool. Um, I feel like I was always, always already doing that, but I want to like I want to do it more. Um, there's like areas I want to explore, which maybe isn't entirely my sexuality. Maybe it's more my gender. Um, I still like, I guess, see myself as like a man, but I'm also kind of like, well, what is a man really yeah. when you think about it? Yeah. Um, and I often say that I can't really see myself as like just a man. I see myself as a queer man, or I like to use the word fag, which I know people don't, but I'm like, that's what I am. That's the only way you can really describe how I feel about my, my gender. It doesn't really make sense when I just say man. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. In terms of my, I guess, my life, I mean, I'm in a monogamous relationship with a guy, which I think I was, like, just dating back when we first spoke. Um, But we've been together for three years now, and uh, we own a place together. So a lot has changed. It's very weird. I'm no longer living in my parents' house. (laughs) Um, I've got my own place in East London. Um, It's really nice. Nice. Two-bed flat. You might see in the background, there's, like, paint samples on the wall because we're trying to pick out what um, color we're doing, painting the walls. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I would say uh, I'm also very tired. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I think no one, no one really tells you just how difficult the process is of writing. And then after you've finished, you've then got to do promo. And that's a few months. And then you're like, oh, I have not had a rest for God knows how long. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of felt like that a lot. So uh, hopefully rest soon. Hopefully yeah. rest soon. Yes. Hopefully soon. Maybe this is the last of your t- of your book tour. Uh, <laughs> it really is. I mean, the last like the whole process of writing the book for me was was like a lot of work, but especially the last couple months where I really like had to finish it and was doing the majority of the writing and rewriting <laughs> like that was hard i was like singularly focused and it took really really long time to to do it and to get it right uh and piercing my ears is the next on my list too but i'm afraid it's gonna hurt doesn't it hurt i'm afraid it doesn't hurt that much actually i i think other parts are worse like if you do like the other parts of the ear but if you're just doing lobes it was like a a little pinch um and then and then it like for a few weeks, you have to clean it, and it's a bit you, and it gets a bit yeah. bloody and stuff. But otherwise, it's it's like fine. I've okay. had tattoos, so I'm like it was nothing compared to that. 
Okay. All right. That's next on my list. Cause I've like, I mean, I'm still doing the nail polish thing, but I'm kind of outgrowing yeah. that. I need something else. And that's really interesting. I've, I, about like, you know, queer man as a gender and queerness yeah. sort of being part of gender, which actually makes a lot of sense to me. Cause like you, I feel comfortable in a cis male identity, but I'm also like, but I don't necessarily want to be boxed in by what that means or what most straight men are out there doing, which is yeah. boring. <laughs> and it, it's difficult because uh, for ages I remember sitting there thinking, well, am I, am I this? Am I that? Am I that? Um, you know, like, am I non-binary? And I was like, well, I, I mean, I know you don't have to have the them pronouns when you're non-binary, but I also don't feel like, I don't know, I don't feel like dysphoria when I get called he, him, or when I get called a man, or when I get like male affirmation. Right. But at the same time, I just don't feel in tune with what people want from me as a man. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I think a lot of people don't tend to see me as a much of a man. Um, I think my, my early experiences of growing up was being called gay just because I wasn't being like the right kind of man. Mm-hmm. Um, I get called, uh, like, what I find really interesting is what... Um, how TERFs have all this rhetoric about like misgendering and stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, as a cis man, I've been misgendered numerous times because something about my voice and something about my hair, I get called she, I get called ma'am, I get called all kinds of stuff. So I'm just like, it's very baffling to me. But at the same time, I'm just like, none of this gender stuff makes any sense. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, and it also, it's all seems so interrelated the more I talk about it with people Mm. and like used to be like, okay, this is what gender identity is and this is what sexuality is. And that's helpful to, to learn about and to discuss it. But Mm. I feel like I gravitate more toward this word queer more and more lately because it's kind of more broad and all encompassing and it can apply to your sexuality, but also to your gender or other things. And they're they're linked in ways like you know i always kind of thought about attractions of like you're you're attracted to certain genders or all genders or whatever but but actually like i'm attracted to queerness also like i'm yeah. more attracted to queer women than straight women and so it's not just the gender identity but it's this sort of whole package and mindset and way of identifying and thinking about the world that is interesting to me so what Um, you said makes sense I feel like there's something about like this heteronormativity which I just find a little icky (laughs) and I think most people would say that right it's kind of like ew I don't want that um and I think it just it's and there's nothing wrong with I I am I'm not turned off by people who are necessarily like in line with their gender you know like overly masculine men or overly feminine women who like, you know, like wearing dresses or the men who like love to go to working out and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I feel like there needs to be something that kind of like, I need a bit of spice, you know, that's how yeah. I say it. I need a bit of flavor. I can't just have you be this like very basic idea of what it means to be a man or a woman. I want it to be a little more exciting. I want it to be a little more interesting because yeah. ultimately, yeah, it's that queerness. It's that, that fucking with the gender role or the gender uh, concepts that I find the most interesting. 
Yeah. Well, and it's also what you said about like leaning into whatever it is. It's like, it's more interesting to lean into, even if it's something that is heteronormative, but if you're leaning into it, that's kind of more interesting than just being something by default or because you want to conform or you don't want to make a choice, but like, you know, a, a a cis woman wanting to be really feminine that you can lean into that in interesting ways, but like, yeah. you know, like a cis guy just kind of conforming to whatever because it's easiest, that's less interesting. Yeah, it's a little boring. It's a little dull. <laughs> yes. Okay. Everyone <laughs> do something weird and interesting and try it. See what happens. I mean, okay. People might just say like it's really basic as well. Like I'm just like, oh, I want to grow out my hair and I want to plait it and I want to like wear dangly earrings. And people be like, right, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, it's not anything you'd let a man do so you tell me um yeah. i just want to look like link honestly i'm just like playing, <laughs> i'm just playing as a kingdom and i'm like why is this gender euphoria i don't know how to describe that very <laughs> valid like, he's still a guy but i'm like that's what i want to be yeah i like it i like it that's very valid cool So we talked a little about the process of writing the book. We 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 got into that a little. Um, I guess I'm curious. Like, I have a few questions, but did you l- learn anything about yourself or your sexuality through any point of that process that was like unexpected? I mean, because you said some stuff has changed, but like, did did some of it come from the reflection of writing the book? I I think so. Yeah, I feel like anytime I do have any kind of conversations with people about my sexuality, I feel like I always learn something. Um, you know, I've had times where I've been on a panel, or I've chaired a panel, and I've learned something, and I always find it so fascinating that I'm always, like, understanding new things. Um, like, I remember once I was chairing a panel and someone was talking about this, um, this deep-rootedness of, like, uh, bisexuality and greed and how people say it's greedy, um, and how that so often comes in line with middle class, so why representations of bisexuality are so often sort of white, cis, middle-class women is because it plays into the idea of greedy and exuberance, and I was like, oh, that's fascinating. Mm. Um, I think through the book, I really learned, I, I mean, I knew I wasn't alone, but I really, like, there was sometimes where I was interviewing someone um, I think all my interviews were kind of done over Google Docs, so they would write stuff, and I would read through it, and I would read through it and go, why is this just like what I would have said? Like, it's exactly, <laughs> like, word for word, exactly what I would have said. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel really seen, but it also made me feel, like, even more angry that this is, like, why have we all had to deal with this? Like, yeah. can no one have a good time? Um I, I did also, it did also make me feel really at home in terms of having queer joy. Um, like seeing, seeing some of the things people said about like their marriages where like they came out to their wives and actually the, their marriage, even when it hit a rocky patch and then improved later and they have a much better understanding and love and acceptance of each other. It's so nice. It's so nice. Yeah. Um, and it made me really feel like I could have that, um, that is, is, is attainable, um, which, for a long time, I felt like it wasn't. Yep. Yeah, and I think I really, I it really pushed me forward of this idea of like, yeah, owning yourself. Um, it's something I always try to do, 
but really just like having so much of people just like owning themselves and being themselves it just it just pushes you you know just like puts a fire in your belly of like yes I'm gonna Mm -hmm. be me I'm gonna be unashamedly me um so yeah I would I would say the, the biggest thing that I got from the book was catharticism um for sure uh like seeing other people experience the same thing it really made me like get out some of my emotions I think I also I also learned um some new experiences uh you know I wrote stuff in that book which is very outside of my own um I wrote about stuff which was about like sexual violence about people who are trans and bi people who are um asexual aromantic and like bi or mspec um and it was really fascinating to like see those intersections which is completely outside of my own experience um to and it really made me understand like bisexuality and mspec identities in a wider picture mm-hmm. um in a way that i probably didn't have as much before cool that's awesome that's awesome and yeah so our our books are different but but i actually think they come really well as a box set yeah. and there's a little bit of there's a little bit of uh crossover to, from one into the other so like your book is you know kind of a more of a primer and like sort of covering all the t- topics and giving you all the information about this identity and and then mine has a chapter about that at the beginning to but then it's very specifically about married bisexual men by by men who are married to women and just sort yeah. of telling their stories but you have a section in one of the chapters about that yeah. and it was interesting for me reading that cuz it was you know <laughs> different people telling their stories but very similar themes and very yeah. similar what you just said of like when people can be open about their sexuality, even in a monogamous straight passing marriage, it makes a huge difference in their lives and their mental health and their communication and their, you know, fulfillment of their identity. And so uh, we, we have our books have that in common. You should buy yeah. one. You should buy both and read Vinit's <laughs> and then read mine one after I the mean, other. <laughs> this is the thing, like, obviously, you're already working on the book at the same time as me. But one of my one of the things that I really wanted from the book is like th- my book is not the end of the conversation. It's very much the beginning. And I try and cover a lot of ground, but it really means that I only scratched the surface of a lot of it. And my biggest hope was that like in the years to come, either because people are already doing it, like yourself, or people are inspired after reading it, that people will delve further into some of those topics. Right. And it's really exciting to think that, like, yeah, now there's going to be, like, my book and there's going to be your book next to my book about, like, bisexual men married to women. And then, like, there's J.R. Yusuf's book coming out soon about bisexual men speak, which, again, isn't inspired mm-hmm. by mine, but it's, like, exciting to just, like, have those next to each other. Um, right. you know, Zachary Zane's Boy Slut, which is obviously more about, like, polyamory and bisexuality and, like, sexual liberation. And it's, like like these aren't inspired by mine but it's really exciting to just see that like I only do this much of all of those topics and seeing them like become bigger and I'm just like I really hope that like five years down the line there's even more where I people are like I read your book and I thought that wasn't enough and I hated that it wasn't enough I'm like that complaint is valid please if you're gonna hate my book please hate it because I didn't talk about that one topic enough but I hate it and then make your own because I want to read it so much. Right. 
That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, because I mean, you there's a bunch of chapters in there that each could be its own entire series. Yeah, and so that's what you were doing with this book is giving giving the overview. But but there's so many diverse experiences of all about all the things that you talked about. So yeah, hopefully we'll get into it for many years to come. It's close. I'm so excited of just a buy shelf expanding like. Yeah. Every time I see another person be like, I'm writing a buy book. I'm like, yes, the agenda is working. Yes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> a whole a whole little bookshelf of uh, pink, purple, and blue covers <laughs> of various uh, degrees. <laughs> Hydration is so important. You know, I'm always saying that Visibility is really important for the bi community. Representation is really important. Access to resources is so important. But none of that is possible if we're all dehydrated, right? That's why I like Liquid IV, the number one powdered hydration brand in America, which is now available in sugar-free. But seriously, I personally do a lot of outdoor activities. I play a lot of tennis, I hike, I swim, and Liquid IV has really changed the way I hydrate seriously. Sometimes the water just goes through you, but with Liquid IV, you really get a boost of energy. And even if you're not doing something athletic, you're just walking around town or even just doing work in your apartment, Liquid IV is a great way to get all the water and other nutrients that you need. It has three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness. One stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. Liquid IV is also non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. And it tastes great. You can get 20% off when you grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free or any other variant at liquidiv.com and use code 2 guys at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code 2 guys T-W-O-B-I-G-U-I-S, at liquidiv.com. Let's get into it a little. Let's talk about some of the stuff that's in the book and like, uh, you know, the next level of it. But I, I kind of want to start with the title, Bisexual Men yes. Exist, a handbook for bisexual, pansexual, and M-spec men. So, you know, I think we've talked about it a little bit here and there, but what is M-spec and why yeah. did you choose to list all three of those in the title? And I guess like, what's what do you think is the state of the label discussion of like, what what's the importance of, of why you did that? So, I mean, the subtitle was really decided by my publisher, but I really wanted M-spec somewhere on the cover. Um, and M-spec, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that means, M-spec stands for multi-gender attracted spectrum. And it's a really, it's one of the many umbrella terms that people in the community use to uh, collect all of the, the labels where people are attracted to more than one gender, multiple genders. Um, so you have bisexual, pansexual, polysexual, omnisexual, bi-curious, homoflexible, heteroflexible, whatever else. There's so many. Um, and that's like one of the many umbrella terms. Um, I specifically wanted to bring that in, not only on the title, but throughout the book, because I really wanted to drive home this point of, yes, we are, uh, there are a lot of different labels, and yes, they have 
some key differences and some people only identify with one or the other, etc. Um, and there are some unique experiences and, and discrimination within those. But ultimately, there's a lot more that binds us. And I really wanted to drive that home is that even though all the statistics and research and stuff focuses on bisexual people, it doesn't just impact people who are self-identify as bisexual. It impacts people who identify as pansexual, polysexual, omnisexual, people who don't even use the word, but maybe are like behaviorally bisexual, as they often say. Um, I wanted to drive that home. And I really wanted to use MSpec rather than sort of bisexual plus or other terms out there. Um, because I really wanted to try and use a term that was a little more agnostic. I don't think anyone uses an MSpec as an individual identity, and therefore it's a, it's a much better umbrella term than something like bisexual plus, because it then doesn't make this, like, a lot of people don't like being the plus, you know? Like, for ages, it was, like, lesbian and gay and the others, right? We didn't like that. Now it's LGBT plus, and asexual people were like, hello. Intellect people were like, what about me? And now right. we have like LGBTQIA plus, but like being under the plus can feel very like, oh, I'm, I'm a minority and I'm a minority even within the minority. And so I really wanted to try and use a term that really just collectively brings us together and really try and focus on the experiences that all of us collectively have to deal with, all of the structures that we have to deal with, like monosexism and phallocentrism and homophobia and biphobia we really wanted to just focus on the fact that like this is something that affects all of us right i i like that i'm i'm still like i always struggle with this label wars because mm. i totally agree with you that it's like it often prevents us from realizing the solidarity of this community and getting yeah. at like what's really important not that our individual identities and how we express them isn't important it is but when it causes us to invalidate someone else's identity yeah. or their choice, especially based on a misconception, that's frustrating and difficult. And I, and I agree so many people with who are, would fall under this M spec umbrella. Many don't want to identify as bi often for a perceived by, you know, something about it. That's, that's pan, transphobic or something. There's yeah. all these different things, but I like you use the word agnostic. I, I was thinking of it as kind of like a more clinical term at MSpec. Mm. That's that's not and no one identifies as that personally, which actually is helpful because then you don't get that pushback. It's really yeah. just a clinical term for attraction to multi genders. Uh, and it and it is nice to have the term like that. I kind of wish it would be used more but then again i also like the history of the word by so it, yeah. it's a it's always a tough debate it's it's one of those difficult things like i i think i was really trying to be careful to avoid label wars as well because yeah i feel like so often these label wars aren't even fueled by us it's fueled by like right. cis her people who just are so obsessed with trying to categorize us they're like but you're bi what does that mean it's like okay so all bi people are this all pan people are like this. You're two separate groups. And it's like, that is just so far from the reality. I know so yeah. many people who use the terms interchangeably, who say, I'm um, more in line with this definition, but I use that word. There are people who will go, well, I just like the colors of that one more, or the flag more, or this more. I like the fact that there's a history, or I like the fact that... And there are people who say, you know, I use pansexual 
not because bias transphobic, but that I get to avoid the conversation. And I think that's valid. I think people go, well, I like, to, I'm more Anne, but I like to be, say bi because people are more likely to know what that means. And that's valid. Right. And I think people miss that. And so they try and get involved in this whole fight and go, well, what does it mean? And I'm like, you know what? Maybe you just don't need to know. Maybe it's just yeah. too beyond you. <laughs> just accept that they both exist and they're both valid and we can move on. Right. Well, and a, and a lot of the sort of debate is fueled by people that we really shouldn't be giving the time of day. Like a exactly. lot of it is, is TERFs who don't think trans people exist saying what, defining what bi is and that yeah. bi means only attracted to cis men and cis women. And and their voices in that debate to me are not only irrelevant, they're actually damaging to the community. Yeah. So it's like if they're fueling that debate and then there's pan people who don't want to identify as bi because of the TERF's definition of bi, yeah. that's, that's fucked up. And so like on the one hand, I do want to push back against that sometimes, but then you don't want to get too into the weeds on it because it's a manufactured conflict. So yeah, it's it's completely manufactured. And I think ultimately like it keeps us it keeps us in this place where we spend all of our energy fighting crap like that instead of focusing on the fact that like we have some of the worst mental health and we're not getting the sexual health uh, help we need. And I'm just like, why we can't just keep spending our energy this way? But that's what they want. They want to to exhaust us, to tire us out on debates that don't mean anything. Because there's so much solidarity between bi and pan people. And they're trying to drive a wedge between it by trying to make us fight amongst each other. Instead of coming together and going, we have a lot in common. Let's fight everyone else. <laughs> like, yeah. there's a lot of us. Why are we? Why are we doing this to each other? Um, but yeah, I just, I really wanted to try and avoid all of that because I just, I feel like it ends up just being such a waste of time. <laughs> it's yeah. being such yeah. a waste of time. Cool. Okay, so then we can move on. <laughs> to, <laughs> but we had to discuss it. So, yeah. so the, the first chapter of your book is about representation and education, which I thought was really interesting to start there. And it really kind of, as a TV writer, it hooked me right away. <laughs> Usually, the the representation in TV is like towards the end of the book, and my, yeah. in mine, it's at the end. Uh, and it's very it, my section is very short. Um, so you, you wrote in that first chapter about like a lot of examples of bad quote, bad by representation and how that affected your identity growing up. So, and you, and you listed a lot of these tropes, like the no bisexuals trope, the ambiguously bi trope, the just an experiment trope, anything that moves depraved bisexual. So can you briefly, or tell us some of your favorite examples of bad by representation (laughs) and what, What's wrong with it and how that affected you growing up? See, it's so difficult because even like this is again like how I learned something through writing the book because I was writing this. And at first I was like, I just want to moan about all the tropes I hated. Meh, meh, meh. And uh-huh. then I actually watched the the video um, that you put up about Shuri from Shuri and Jacob. And then I watched, listened to the podcast. And then I spoke to Jacob and then I like, 
decided to make that section more well-rounded of like, well, actually, what is bad and how do we define bad? Yeah. Um, it's not so simple. And are we playing into purity culture and like assimilation culture by saying it's bad just because they have sex with loads of people? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's hard to like straddle this ground, right? Because it's one of those things where some of this stuff has impacted people. Some of these people, some people have come out as bi, seen that and been impacted by it or felt worse about themselves because of it or had people use that as a way to like shame someone where I say, oh yeah, you're like blah, blah on TV. Ha ha ha. Oh yeah. Do you do this? And you know, sometimes it can play into it, but also when they're never naming bisexual, how do you know anyone's looking at this and going, that's bi, that's what bi is. It's really difficult. And so I think for me, the ones that get on my nerves the most is when people don't state bisexuality. Mm-hmm. That's the one that bugs me the most. You get these characters who are ambiguously bi, who clearly make all of these hints and cues, but won't say the damn word. And ultimately what that ends up doing is leaving it up for debate. And I think that that, again, is really useful. I think, um, again, was learning from, like, Jacob and Shiri's discussion on your podcast about how, you know, we can... Media is is for us to decide and we can, you know, take something from it regardless of what the media tells us is in it. Um, You know, you get a lot of people to say that's so queer-coded. How many people have been like, the mummy is so queer-coded? There's no queerness in there, but it's so queer-coded, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the like the thing that can become frustrating is you don't have um you have you don't end up getting actual representation because they never actually say that this is by representation um and you end up having to have debate people who are saying it's one thing or the other because obviously everyone loves binaries and so everyone's like no no they're actually straight no no they're actually gay um because they and some of these people project their own experiences you'll see um, so often queer people will go, oh, no, but, you know, she was dating a man and now she's dating a woman, so she's gay. And it's like, is is that not bi? I, right. I don't understand. Is that not bi? And they go, no, because, you know, she didn't, and it's them projecting her own experience of going, well, I dated a man and then I realized who I was and I dated a woman. So clearly that's what's happening here. Right. And what happens as well when you don't name bisexuality is people don't know it exists, right? Right. Like growing up, there were definitely representation that was probably by, but if they never ever said it, and you don't even know the word exists, and they're never saying it, how are you ever supposed to find out the word exists? Right. Exactly. It, I mean, it's very. It's like a catch twenty two, and it's almost a self fulfilling prophecy because it's like, well, okay, those characters are exhibiting maybe by traits or interests, but not saying it. So then it's invisible. So then people yeah. don't want to identify that way. I also think having worked from the inside of it, it works the other way too, where like creators mm. and writers and actors and people involved in making this culture, if they're not out or they're not being explicit, then they're not going to put it in the story that way. Yeah. And so I think some of it must come from, the invisibility working that way. Like we know that the vast majority of bi men specifically are not out. Um, Like the statistics vary depending on where you look, but it's like, 
eight, somewhere between 80 and 90% of bi men are not out. Not Maybe 90 is too high. It's in the 80s. <laughs> and that's a lot. Like a number of gay and lesbian people who are closeted is in the 20-ish percent yeah. range. So it's a massive difference. And so if there are creators and writers writing about the gay and lesbian experience, it's mostly going to be about out people who are saying they're gay or lesbian or, or, or if they're not out are very aware of it. And yeah. the bi experience is a lot more challenging to wrap your head around. I think yeah. I, I don't want to say yeah. the whole experience yeah. is more challenging, but it's a difficult thing to recognize that you're yeah. M spec or bi or fluid. And so as you're working those things out, if you're writing a show, it's it's just harder, I think, to put it in there explicitly if you aren't there yourself. Yeah. So it's kind of this vicious cycle. And, you know, yeah. I, like I remember being at SVU, a TV writer, like dabbling with these issues in my head. But because I wasn't out, I I couldn't really attack it head on. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, you see a, a network show where like, somebody is married to a woman, but going out at night for gay sex and they call the character gay or they don't yeah. say anything yeah. and everyone assumes he's gay. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have someone in that room who's bi or who really knows a lot about the M spec experience, then that's, that's the default that's going to happen. Cause that's yeah. what happens in the world. Yeah. And so that's why I, I really wanted to start with that chapter is that ultimately that, representation and education I feel like sets the groundwork for the way you navigate the world right if you see something on screen if you can see your lived experience or you're being taught it in schools or from family or whatever then ultimately you're going to be able to be that thing right if you know for seven years I didn't know the word bisexual despite having that attraction like Right. If I knew the word, that probably would have helped. <laughs> like, right. like then, then you have to deal with the fact that the word has baggage and people see it in a certain way. But like, at least I would have known the word. Right. And so it's it's a really difficult thing to reckon with. It's like if you aren't getting that representation, if you aren't getting that education, if it's not visible, how can you be it? And so I think that's why that was why I really wanted to start with that chapters. I feel like that sets the groundwork for the rest of the chapters. Right. It was an interesting way to start and I loved it. <laughs> and, you know, I like when I first heard Rosa on Brooklyn Nine-Nine use the word bisexual, it made me cry, even though yeah. like that that scene is pretty straightforward. It, yeah. uh, but it was just the use of the word that made me really cry that it, you know, it's so hard to do that. And and more recently, I really liked Heartstopper and yeah. the explicitness of his bisexuality and the way he came out to his mom and that that was like just the perfect coming out scene i thought are, are there examples of of quote good by representation lately you've seen that you want I mean, to share i mean those two are probably my favorite there are definitely examples that i can point to and say even though they didn't say the word sometimes i still enjoyed it like there was like ambrose from chilling adventures of sabrina where he has like a whole ass orgy with like women and men and it's all very hot and I'm like I appreciate this I don't think they ever say his identity um as but yeah I would say I would say Heartstop uh and um Brooklyn Nine-Nine definitely hit up there because of the explicit usage 
Um, and the fact that they're main characters as well. I feel like so often you'll yeah. get someone who's bisexual, who is a side character, who will come out in a couple of episodes and then will disappear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we need more of it. We need more, yeah. really. Yeah, that's the, the um, I was having a conversation recently with another person who's writing a bi book and I'm going to appear a little bit in there and there's a chapter on representation and and she asked like, what do I want to see more of? And I, you know, I just said like more of everything. Like I, yeah. there isn't a specific thing I want to see more of. It's, I just want to see more authentic, diverse representations of bisexuality because yeah. like it is such a, crazy spectrum i don't mean crazy i mean like an enormous spectrum crazy large and diverse spectrum of experiences and that's kind of to me what is not quite out there in pop culture yet is like how different this experience can be for everyone and yet there's a worldview that unites it but there isn't necessarily an experience that unites this identity like there's no one thing that all bi people have experienced or gone through there's a lot of little things that can feel similar but there's the trajectory is not is usually not the same for any two people and that's that's what i would love to see is like i i don't mind if you have bisexual characters who are like immoral or amoral or you know depraved or villainous or whatever they are i don't mind that as much as long as you have a wide range and you're not just making every single one of them this like bad guy like i want to see the rich and varied experience from our community i want to see bi people of color i want to see bi men and bi non-binary people and bi trans people i want to see all of the different people that you see and all of the different types and all the different experiences not just like the cookie cutter middle class like you know Mm. white woman uh, you know, the Carrie Bradshaw, Carrie Bradshaw wasn't biphobic, you know, like, I yeah. want to see that. I want to see that. Yeah. I want to see stuff yeah. that isn't just that, you know? Right. You know what I also want to see now that you're, this is making me think of it is like, I want to see M-spec by people in conflict with each other. Cause I yeah. know like we, a lot of it is like this double discrimination, which you wrote about in the book where we are discriminated against from both sides, from straight, the straight community and the gay and lesbian community but like there's conflict between bi people who are very different from each other and that's pretty interesting too and pretty real (laughs) yeah i would love that i would also really um i would really love to see i feel like every time i watch uh media which has a queer person in it they somehow don't know any other queer people and i'm like is it too hard to ask for them to have a community because yeah. like it just feels really jarring that these people never seem to have an actual community like how are you the only queer person in your that's like right. unrealistic i don't know a single queer person who has zero queer friends like it just doesn't make sense so she's right. like in major cities i just finished watching um shrinking uh season mm. one and they have a gay character in it and he's like a gay character in a relationship with a gay character and I'm pretty sure all of the people he's friends with are straight. Like, if they're mm. not straight, they haven't made it clear enough. And I'm just like, yeah. that's that's odd. That's odd. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That makes sense. I want to see that, too. And I want to see what happens in those communities, not just the conflict between different communities. Yeah. 
This podcast is sponsored by Zencaster, and we are also part of the Zencaster Creator Network. You've probably heard me talk about this many times, but I love Zencaster. It has made everything so easy for me and streamlined and has made sure the quality of this podcast is as high as it possibly can be. The first couple of seasons were pretty haphazard and I needed a better solution and I found it with Zencaster. This is our fourth season on Zencaster, third season in the Creator Network, which has been awesome. But the main thing is it is so easy. It's an all-in-one tool. It's all in your browser. You don't need to download anything. You're doesn't need to download anything. You just send them a link, you show up in the browser, and Zencaster takes care of everything. It has never dropped audio, even when the internet goes out. It has never dropped video. And everything is recorded locally so that it is the best quality you can get, whatever equipment you're using. The podcast sector is always changing, but it is still growing. And if you've been thinking about starting a podcast or sharing your stories, now is the time to do it. So go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code 2BuyGuys and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. You also wrote in that chapter about the negative education that, quote, mm. that, that most of us get about bisexuality as we're growing up. So just just briefly, can you tell us like because it frames a lot of the book. We're not going to go point yeah. by point, but okay. what what does that mean, and like how do we kind of change that societally? I think oh god, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> that's the rest of the episode. <laughs> like, I think so. The negative representation is so often um, like you probably wouldn't even get it in schools because schools would have just not have taught you bisexuality at all. But it was in like sort of mainstream media. Um, one of the big examples was during the AIDS crisis. They said that bisexual men are a, a specter, of a, like a vector of disease. They're going to infect straight women, all of this stuff. And what it really taught is this idea that bisexuality is wrong. Bisexuality is bad. It's evil. It's, um, you know, going to infect you. All of these like really awful negative things. And ultimately what it did is it caused people to not come out, to stay in the closet, to hide their sexuality. Um, and we all know the, how damaging the closet can be. So that obviously leads to worse mental health outcomes. It means that they're obviously not going to be connected to the community, which means that they're not going to have the same resources to me of mental health or sexual health. And so there's a lot that ends up being missed because of the fact that these people aren't out, and so often these people aren't out because they either don't know it exists or they very acutely know how badly they will be seen by the rest of society for coming out. And so much of that is fueled by this negative education, these negative ideas of bisexuality. How we solve it? Um, I feel like that question it might be above me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, there's no easy answer for that one, I know. <laughs> But I honestly think that the place we can start is by having society fund bisexual communities. Because ultimately, by giving the bisexual communities the money, they can then have a, a platform and they can have their voices heard effectively. 
Um, I think so often what happens is you have a lot of really big, really great bisexual communities, but they aren't able to get their footing in in the same way that uh, a generic, LG, not generic, but like a wide range LGBTQIA plus community um, would be able to do. When you compare something like uh, Still Bisexual or Bi-Resource Centre compared to GLAAD or H- uh, HRC, like they're on two very different platforms, right? And everyone's listening to GLAAD. Is everyone listening to Bisexual Resource Centre? Probably not. Um, ultimately, if we give Bisexual Resource Centre some more money and we put them in the room with people who give a shit and we'll give them connections and we'll put them into spaces and make room for them, ultimately they can do a lot of work to fix this. But because they don't, we're at the whim of cishet people creating these debates of, does bisexuality exist? Does, uh, can bisexual men really be bisexual men? Should we maybe measure their erections? Just to check, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just in case, just in case. Um, and so I, that was like the main thing behind my book is a lot of people go, bisexual men exist. Isn't that obvious? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But that's the start of the book. Like you really got to like accept that going in because I'm not going to go, so I'm not going to go through the book saying, let me tell you about that bisexual men exist. I'm going through the book and saying, they exist. That's a fact. Now let me tell you the problems about the fact that you won't believe us. That's the book. Right. Right. I love it. Yes. And I remember that that study, among others, that always pops up now and again. And it's like, come on. Um, okay. I, lo- I love that framing of the book. Um, so so speaking of, you wrote a whole chapter about coming out also. Yes. And uh, there were a couple interesting things in there that I thought were like new to me that I'll get to. But one of them was that almost every person you spoke to for for quotes and stuff said they wished they had come out earlier. So yeah. I'm curious for your reflection on that and like, has your perspective about coming out changed over time or overwriting the book? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where I definitely felt like that a lot. I, I struggled with that a lot because I didn't come out until I was 24, despite having feelings when I was around 11. Um, like, I was 32 and I, like, I didn't it, realize for so long. And it's it's not even about like realizing internally and going oh I'm going to deny this it's it's not even realizing realizing it internally because you can't even believe that it's real right right like right. you're trying to go oh I could be this thing and your brain's immediately going no you can't that's not a thing you can be pick one these are your choices you got to pick one um, and so it was trying to grapple with that um, I think. What's really difficult, though, is when you talk about stuff about wanting to come out sooner. I definitely feel like that a lot. There's definitely times where I'm like, I wish I did. I wonder how different my life would be. But I'm also like, okay, but imagine if I did come out sooner, how different my life would be. Derogatory, like negative. Like, I'm, I have, I'm so happy now. I have such a lovely life. I, if I came out sooner, would I have any of this? Like, mm-hmm. what if... I could have had a much better life, but what if I didn't? What if, if actually this was the right way to go? Right. Um, it sucks because no one should have to go through this trauma. No one should have to be in the closet for that long. No one should have to deal with that. And we shouldn't be shaped by trauma. It's awful. But ultimately, that is 
that is unfortunately or fortunately my life. And mm-hmm. it's really about reconciling that and coming to terms with it and going, okay, that's the way it had to be, but let's make the best of it. Right. I love that. I mean, I I can understand a lot of bi people think that. And I, you know, I kind of think it too. Like, I wish I could have realized this sooner and come out sooner, but but I couldn't, you know, and, mm-hmm. and like I, it, there were just so many obstacles to realizing it and realizing, yeah. realizing it was valid and getting to the point where I felt comfortable enough to share it with others and valid enough internally that I could share it. And so it's, it's just not an easy process. And there's, yeah. you know, you, your journey is your journey and you can't force that if you're not ready for it, because that could be worse than yeah than holding it in until you're yeah. ready. And you also wrote in that chapter about the importance of hearing other people's stories, which mm. both of our books are kind of implicitly about, is about yeah. sharing other stories to validate you. And when I think back to when I came out, it was right after I finally went to a by discussion group in New York yeah. and heard other people's stories, heard them talk about it, and realized that there were real people who thought the way I did. And that, yeah. that was what allowed me to come out. I don't think I ever could have done it before I had that experience, really. Yeah. It was one of those things in my book that I was like, I really wanted to be driven by the people because ultimately statistics and research and papers and all of this is incredibly useful, but it's not very humanizing. Yeah, it can feel You can feel very removed from it. Like if I tell you uh, 48% of bisexual men haven't come out to anyone in their family. You're like, oh, wow, that's a lot. And then it just kind of, you kind of just move past, right? If I tell you, hey, here's this person who isn't out to anyone in their family. Here's how they're struggling. Here's how much pain it's causing. Suddenly there's a person you can think about, you can visualize, you can empathize with. Right. Um, and I think that that for me is a lot stronger um, obviously, that's the allyship side of it. But for us as bisexual men, it really makes you feel less alone. It makes you feel less isolated because you go, oh, that's, oh, I see you. I see you. Right. And suddenly you don't feel alone. Right. Well, that's that's a huge part of your book because you have so many stories mm. and quotes from other people. And it's and it's essentially the thesis of my book is, yeah. is like, uh, I'm not trying to convince you of anything necessarily, but here are 13 stories of guys who have been through some kind of similar journey and whatever you take from that. And so many interesting stories. <laughs> like, yeah, they I, were all really different. Yeah. Like I was like, obviously I'm, I'm going to say I have read it for, so I can endorse it. You could see it on Amazon now. Uh, pre-order, pre-order, plug, plug, plug. Um, yes, go and- look at Vanit's endorsement <laughs> on Amazon. It's up there. It's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And there were so many wonderful stories in there. And I think that that's so important is that we we showcase that. We don't just focus on one experience, but we show everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between it, you know. And yeah. I think that that's, that's a really great way to showcase our community. Right. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, so and also in that chapter on coming out, there's one other thing I want to point out because it was kind of a helpful thing for me to frame this in a new thing. You, you know, that I just liked, I liked as advice, you wrote to people that as you're questioning this, you know, de- deciding if you want to come out, try to enjoy the questioning. 
Yeah. And I, and I loved that. And you wrote about like the joys of experimentation. And like, Mm. I think as I was going through some of it, especially initially, it was like, what is happening? I have to figure it out. I have to try this and see if I like it. And like a lot of it was a little stressful in terms of like, what's the ultimate decision going to be. But now looking back and at a certain point, I got to this point of like, bisexuality is kind of about the questioning and the exploration. And that's what's really exciting about it is that it isn't this fixed thing. It's this fluid thing that can always be changing and you can always be exploring and experimenting. And so start there, start by enjoying the questioning phase. Yeah. So I I loved that. Do you want to talk Mm -hmm. about that a little? Yeah. I was just going to say, I had a very similar experience to yours where I was like, I've got to make sense of this, right? I've got to come out. I've got to state it. I've got to understand myself. I've got to know what this means. And then when you do it, you're like, what if I'm wrong? What if it does, what if it's something else, blah, blah, blah. And I think we're so tied up into this idea that like you come out and that's it. That's the end of the story instead of the beginning. Uh, we go, you know, I've come out now, I've done it. And I'm like, coming out is a lifelong process. You're always going to meet people who don't know and you've got to tell them. But also stuff is going to change, right? Like sexuality is not set in stone. You don't engrave it on the tombstone the second you say it out loud. It can change and it can morph and it can grow as you have more experiences. And yeah, yeah very much like you, it was very much after I'd come out, I realized that looking back. And going, oh, like, actually, maybe it doesn't matter if I didn't have it all figured out. Um, because ultimately, I think that's the important thing. So anytime I meet someone who's like, I think I might be bisexual, I'm not sure. And I'm like, well, embrace it. Yeah. Say it. Put it on. See how it feels, you know? It's like it's like a t-shirt, you know? Try it on. See if it fits. If it doesn't fit, try a different shirt. It's okay. And that's the advice I give to someone. I actually gave that advice to someone in person. I was at a panel on bisexuality. And afterwards, someone was talking to me. It was like on a different panel. And they asked me that. And I was like, just just give it a try. If it's not right, you can change it. Just give it a try. They're like, I was bisexual now. Mm -hmm. They gave it a try and they liked it. You know, like, that's the way it goes sometimes. Well, and it's uh, to me, it's almost like no matter where you quote end up or whatever identity label you choose, like to ask yourself these questions and actually think about your sexuality beyond a surface level at all is pretty cool and interesting and exciting. And like so many people never do that. And so even if you are a straight person questioning something, that enjoy that questioning like that questioning is an interesting process in and of itself and we should all do it even even if you are straight i think straight people are so scared to do it honestly they're like no my cushy little life don't take it and i'm like come on just come out it's fun come on join us I know it's so scary. It is so scary. I mean, I know because I was there, but now I'm like, come on, get over it. It's not that scary, but I know it can be scary. (laughs) 
stick around, there's a bit more of this episode coming up, but there's a lot more of this episode on Patreon. There's over 25 minutes extra with Vineet. We talked about dating and the huge variety of relationship styles among the bi community, why certain relationships can and should be considered a success, even if they eventually end. We talked about bi invisibility and mental and sexual health research. We touched on intersectionality with a focus on the asexual and aromantic spectrums. And we talked more about the challenges of writing bi books in general and what we'd like to see more of in the bi activist space. So head to patreon.com slash Robert Brooks Cohen or click the link in the show notes or on the link tree in all of my social media accounts. You'll get bonus content with Vineet and every other episode, plus ad-free episodes and early access to everything. There's already a new episode up there featuring Kate Mangino. She's the author of a book called Equal Partners. We had a really fascinating discussion. It'll be out here in two weeks, but it's already up on Patreon. Plus, there's more content coming soon related to my book, Bisexual Married Men. So check it out, and thank you so much for your support. And now, here's a bit more with Vineet Mehta. Okay, uh, last question, I promise. Um, <laughs> your, your, your final chapter of the book is about pride. I think that will be a nice place to leave off today. And you know, a lot of the book is about the challenges of being bi and there are so many challenges and especially still today, it's lagging behind other, other things in terms of acceptance and visibility. You wrote, with everything I've discussed in this book, finding pride in your identity sounds like an insurmountable task. With the structures of monosexism, heteronormativity, phallocentrism, and more at play, leading to the erasure and bigotry that MSpec people face, it is no wonder that MSpec people struggle with coming out and feeling secure in their identity. It impacts every part of your life, et cetera, et cetera, going on and on. I mean, <laughs> it's hard and there's a lot of challenges. So how... How do you find joy in your bisexuality these days? Where's the pride coming from? This pride, this will air after pride season, but yeah. we're in pride season as we record this. So how do you find pride in your identity? It is so difficult. And honestly, I got to that chapter and even in that chapter, there's a lot of downers in there. There's a lot of downers in the book. And there's been a few people who have just like, how did you manage to put joy in your book? Because I read it and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, there's joy in it. Please, please <laughs> tell me where. Because honestly, sometimes I look back at it and I'm like, God, my book is depressing. Um, so I'm really glad when people do say they find joy. Um I think finding joy is really difficult by yourself. And I think the easiest way to find joy in your identity is to find your community. I think community is so strong and it's so powerful. And having that community around you can really help you feel less alone, can help you feel more secure, can like, you know, help you make friends, help you like in so many different ways help you feel better help you feel like bisexuality is okay and I think that that is for me the strongest thing um that always helps me find pride is having my community around me it's having friends like Lo who is such an incredible activist uh even working in the community 
uh, like helping other people helped me find pride in my own identity. Writing the book helped me find pride in my identity because I was not only seeing myself in it, but I was helping these other people because other people, when they were uh, responding for my book, they were like, actually writing that all out was really cathartic. It really helped me get a lot mm. of stuff out. It really mm -hmm. lifted something off me. Um, and that's something that writing always does for me is I like write out my feelings. Anytime I'm like feeling a certain way, I'm just like, let me just take take it out of my brain and, and just on paper and it's out and it helps so much. Um, so yeah, I think for me, the biggest way I find pride is, is having my community around me. I love that. I love that. I mean, it's, you can't sort of fix all the, the challenges at once, but you can make them easier by being around other people who get it and you can yeah. find joy and pride in in all the wonderful parts of bisexuality when you have people to share it with. I think yeah. that's that's so true. Like having my yeah. community and my found family has really helped me be me more than I've ever been me in the past. Um, and And I think that that's true for a lot of people. I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm so glad you had such catharsis writing the book. And uh, and as I did, too. I mean, I learned so much writing mm. mine and hearing the stories that people were sharing. I'm so sharing. excited for everyone to read your book. Me, it's going to be so yeah, great. Me too. Me too. And, and the same as you said, so everyone who shared their stories with me had some kind of catharsis, too. I feel like, like just talking about it kind of helped yeah. them connect and work through stuff too. And I can't wait for them to read each other's stories. I can't wait for you all to read all of it. And I can't wait for you all to read Vinit's book. If you haven't already, you should have by now, but if you haven't, <laughs> you can pick it up wherever books are sold or do you have a website or something? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I always say recommend uh, queer books. I do have a website and it's really out of date and I don't have enough US stuff on there. So I really recommend, uh, not that you're not worldwide, so, you know, I I really recommend, if you do have a local queer bookshop, go to them first. I always love saying to people, support a queer bookshop. Um, you can also message me, and I can always post you a, a link if I can find one. Um, you can find me on social media at NintendoMad888, or just Google my name, because my name is very unique, is what I've learned. Uh, there's only one other person who's like, <laughs> vice president at like Tata Communications and he must be so angry that he got such a good position in a job and I've overshadowed it. <laughs> um, but if you can't if you can't find a queer bookshop, if that's not available to you, stuff like Barnes and Noble, Waterstones, whatever your big bookshop is, or Amazon is also available. But support queer bookshops. Awesome. Well, the book is Bisexual Men Exist, a handbook for bisexual, pansexual, and M-spec men. There it is right there. <laughs> and uh, thank you so much, Vernit, for coming back on Two Bye Guys and talking about it and talking about all this other stuff, too. Thank you so much for having me. It was so lovely to speak to you again. See you again in season nine when the next <laughs> book comes out. You and Lo can come back. Oh my God, absolutely. Please. <laughs> Two Bad Guys is produced and edited by me, Rob Cohen, and it was created by me and Alex Boyd. Our logo art is by Caitlin Weinman. Our music is by Ross Mincer. We are supported by the Gotham, and we are part of the Zencaster Creator Network. Use promo code 2 Guys to get 30% off. Thanks for listening to Two Bad Guys. <laughs> <laughs>